Morning. You made it to church in the snow. Look at that. Good for you. Uh, welcome. We are continuing this morning in our Life's Biggest Question series. My name is David Soren, by the way. I'm the lead pastor here. And we have come to our final question of this series, and that is, what happens when I die? Now, I can't emphasize enough how important uh, this particular question is, and yet I think most Americans rarely think about it. In fact, we try really, really hard not to think about it. And our modern culture is really one of the first ones ever that has been afforded the luxury of not having to think about death all that much. In fact, if you go back 100 years in America, death was a much more present reality. You know, many babies were lost in childbirth. Mothers died in childbirth. Uh, you know, even just in regular life, you were so much more likely to die in a, a farming accident, right? Because you didn't have quick and adequate medical access, not to mention all the people who died just to infectious diseases and such that we knew nothing about 100 years ago that now we can save people from. You know, if you go back 100 years, moms maybe gave birth to eight children and saw maybe three or four of them live to adulthood. Do you know what the life expectancy was 100 years ago in the United States? It was in the low 50s still. In fact, most people in those days, they died at home, and families cared for the body, and funerals even were typically at home. But now, in the 21st century, death doesn't strike us as often, as early, and definitely not as near. Now, I think we have thought about it more in the last two years with COVID and now with Ukraine. But even then, I mean, if we're honest, for the vast majority of us, it's still rather abstract, right? It's something that's in the news rather than right in our home. And because of that, I think most of us aren't forced to think that deeply on this paramount question of our lives. What happens when I die? Because I want you to know, you will die. And I know, I know that you know that, but I want you to actually think about it today, to ponder it. Because hardly anyone else in your life is going to ask you to go there mentally. So let's do that. Now, uh, we are a Bible-teaching church, so one of the things we do is we usually teach right through the Scriptures. Uh, this series we've been doing a little bit different as we've been comparing secular, that's non-religious ideas, to uh, Christian answers on these questions. So we're going to start here with kind of the four major answers to this particular question, what happens when I die? Uh, four major views of the afterlife. So let's start with the first major view that's out there in society. So these aren't necessarily biblical views, but what's out there. Uh, we become spirits or ghosts. Now, typically in history, you would just find this like in a, a tr the tribal cultures of the South Pacific or uh, many of the Native American tribes or even uh, many of the tribes in Africa much of their religious beliefs, actually, were about pleasing their ancestors, who they believed that upon death became spirits, spirits that would really make the lives of the living good or bad. And now what's fascinating about this particular view is that it's having a resurgence. There's an uptick of interest, even among regular, everyday Americans. You can see this just by what's on TV, right? In things like ghost hunting shows, right? Or talking to relatives who have passed. And so that's why I added this on here as one of the major views of what people are thinking about when they think about the question, what happens when I die? Second major view is this, reincarnation. A reincarnation is the idea that after your death, 
your soul, or some say your consciousness, goes to another person or animal and continues on living, but with no memory of its previous life. Uh, this, in many religions, is connected to karma. So uh, it works like this. The more bad deeds that you have, then the worse your karma and the worse your karma, then the more likely you are to reincarnate in something where you've been downgraded to an animal or such, and, and so on and so forth. Now, traditionally, this kind of thought is almost exclusively found in Eastern religions. You see it in Hinduism, even in Buddhism. But things are changing fast here in America. So even though Hindus and Buddhists only make up a total of 2% of Americans, a very recent poll from Pew Research, and they are one of the best, found that now, listen to this, this is mind-blowing to me, 33% of Americans believe in some sort of reincarnation after death. And if you isolate that data to 18 to 29-year-olds, it's 40%. So if you, if you were to go to a college campus today and you saw a bunch of young people, four out of 10 of them believe that what happens when I die is some sort of reincarnation. You may go, how is that happening? Well, what's happening is this. 40% of Americans are not becoming Hindus. Uh, we actually talked about this, if you were, I know some of you are new in the last couple of weeks, but in January we did a series called Exiles, Pilgrims, and Ambassadors. And in our Exiles message, we talked about the change of the religious landscape in America. So in 1980, say 40-some years ago, uh, most Americans were at least present in a church. And we said, now really back then, only 20% had a personal saving relationship with Jesus Christ, and that number is still really steady in America today. But back then, the vast majority of Americans had at least some sort of nominal, inherited Christian worldview. And so if you ask them, hey, what happens when you die? They're going to give you some answer. It might not be biblically right, but it's going to be something about heaven and hell. But now that massive group of Americans that in 1980 just went to church because that's what you did. You went to church. They don't go to church anymore. But they're not flocking to atheistic worldviews either, at least not entirely, and definitely not when it comes to this question of our future destination. What Americans are doing instead is they're doing this sort of grab-a-bag, mix-and-match of other spiritual beliefs often without really investigating them at all. Now, I can't say this authoritatively, but I can almost guarantee you that very little of the 33% of Americans that believe in some sort of reincarnation have sat down and extensively studied the Hindu scriptures. Right? Instead, they're going, that sounds interesting to me. I think I like that idea. Okay, third major view uh, for this question on the afterlife is this. We cease to exist. Now, this is the view that's in line with much of the secular theories that we've been discussing throughout this series. This is the classic atheistic position, right? That there, if there is no God, then it stands to reason that there is no afterlife. So they would say, at our death, when we die, because they don't believe that there is a soul, your life is over. That's, that's it. It ends right there. This is pretty straightforward, and this is a view that's actually held now by 17% of Americans. And the fourth view is this, right? It's the one you probably expected to be up here. It's heaven and hell. Now, even within this, there's a decent amount of variation, right? People have different nuanced views about this. Even in different religions that believe in heaven and hell, there's different views on that. But the biblical view 
of heaven is that heaven is this amazing place full of great joy. The book of Revelation says, there there will be no more tears, no more pain, no more suffering. And for believers in Jesus, we will get to be there for all of eternity in the glory of God's presence. And that hell is a place of suffering where people are separated from God for all of eternity. Now, I think a good question that we need to ask ourselves as we kind of come to the end of the series here is, does my answer to this final question of life, what happens when I die, does it logically fit with my other four answers that I've given to life's biggest questions? So uh, let me show you what I mean here. We'll put an illustration on the screen for you. Uh, and shout out to uh, Kaya Ortman uh, from our staff who did a great job taking a lot of my chicken scratch ideas for this series and making slides out of them. Um, but here we have a logical train of thought. See, it's a train. Get us. I thought it was good. Thanks. Okay. Um, the first train is on the track of secularism. Again, you know, this is the non-religious idea, and it's going to follow a logical train of thought. Again, I'm not saying that I agree with its conclusions. I'm just saying that on these huge questions of origin, that's this column, and meaning, and morality, and destination, that it's logical, right? It's one thought's going from the next. So if it, the secular thought goes like this, if I am a result of random chance, Right, some amino acids bumped together, life on Earth started. The universe just came into being. If that's true, then my life can't have meaning. There is no overarching, transcendent meaning in life because life randomly occurred. And then there is no right and wrong, and then all these things. If there is no God, then certainly there is no afterlife. Again, totally disagree with that, but that is logic. It's one conclusion building upon another. It is cohesive. It is a consistent worldview. I feel like I can have a really good conversation with someone in this, right? Because we can discuss. We can lay out the evidence and talk about it. And then we have the Christian track, right? This is a Christian logical thought. If God created me, then my life has infinite meaning, deep meaning. God himself created me, loves me, has a plan for me. In terms of morality, there is definitely right and wrong if there is a God. And if all of these things are true and God exists, then absolutely there is an afterlife. Now, you could add in other train cars in here, like God gave us his word and it tells us about heaven and all of, these things, all of those things. But what you can see is each thing is logically consistent with the others. However, here is the great challenge of our times in America. The truth is most Americans struggle to stay on a logical train of thought. What we do instead is we pick and choose answers to life's biggest questions. Most Americans, we pick answers that feel good. We pick the answers that we like. For many of us, we pick the answers that allow us to live how we want to live but we don't pay too much attention to whether these beliefs necessarily even follow from our other answers to life's biggest questions. So unfortunately, many American views look actually more like this. So this is an example now of what I, how I would chart the most common views of the typical American. So they would say, if I am a result of random chance, so you know, they're saying life evolved, uh, here, here I am, then when it comes to meaning, I believe that I'm here to make a difference, that I'm here to seek justice, that I'm here to do good, I'm here to live with meaning and purpose. But when it comes to morality, don't tell me how to live. 
That's my private choice. Each person can live how they want as long as they don't harm anyone. And we talked about all these things in this series. And then when it comes back to destination at the end of my life, yeah, at the end of my life, I do believe that I'm going to heaven. Now, those are really common answers, right, to life's biggest questions. But do you see how we're just literally jumping from logical trains of thought, from different tracks, from, from each to the other? You know, we pull a little bit from secular thought, especially when it comes to morality, but then these answers are pulling very heavily, actually, from Christian thought when it comes to meaning and purpose and eternal life. But one of the main things I'm hoping that you're getting from this five-week series is that your answers to all of life's questions should be consistent. They should fit together in a worldview. And that's one of the things I love about the Bible's answers. Okay, so let's connect this disjointedness to today's particular question. What happens when I die? Because you'll see on the screen that there are a lot of Americans that believe, despite everything else that comes before it, they believe, yeah, at the end of my life, I'm going to go to heaven. In fact, 73% of Americans still believe in heaven. Look at this amazing poll from Gallup. So they asked people, do you believe in heaven and hell? And they've been asking this question since 1944. And look at this. 73% of Americans still believe in heaven and hell, virtually unchanged since World War II. And what's so crazy about this is Americans have changed their view on everything since World War II, right? But when it comes to heaven, we're like, yeah, we still believe in it, and we're going there. And it's fascinating. But this is America. And I would say, do you know, though? Do you know that you're going there for certain? Because the truth is, most Americans haven't actually investigated this question much at all, which is really deeply ironic and odd if you think about it. Okay, so if the Bible is right, okay, even if just science is right, even if reality is right, and you only have 30 years left of your life, right? No one here is going to live for the next 200 years. We know this to be true. Scientific fact. If that's true, and the Bible is right, that then there is an eternity in heaven or hell that's going to last for 100 trillion years and more, right? Because it goes for eternity. Isn't figuring out where you will be actually the most important question of life? Like, what, you tell me, what could possibly be more important than that question? Look, people spend forever trying to figure out where they're going to go to college for four years. But that pales in significance to where are you going to be for the next 100 trillion years of your life. And it's not just about heaven, it's about hell. And I don't want to talk about this emotionally. I'm not going to get everybody worked up in a frenzy or anything. I want you to just think about this rationally. Okay, so you can take the emotion out of it if you want to. If heaven is real then it stands to reason that hell is real. So actually, when they do these polls, they always ask people, they'll break it down and say, how many of you believe in heaven? And then they'll say, how many of you believe in hell? And then the number always drops by like 30%. But it's not logical. If, if heaven is real, it stands to reason that hell is real. And if they are both for eternity, then it is hypothetically possible that you could face an unending amount of time, a never-ending amount of time in hell suffering. This is such a serious question, right? And so why is it that every single person on earth wouldn't spend actually a massive amount of time investigating 
this incredibly serious question of life? I think in part we don't because it is heavy, it is weighty, it's a bit scary, and so we just choose to kind of not think about it. But I don't want you to do that. I encourage you, look at it, study it, investigate it. For way too many Americans, the answer that they would give to this question if you said, no, seriously, give me your opinion on it, is actually completely disjointed from many of their other answers to life's biggest questions. Uh, I had a friend this week who sent me a YouTube video about uh, death. And it sound, that sounds weirder than it is, but we were talking about death this week. <laughs> and uh, in the video, there is this woman, and she was talking very frankly about death, uh, very accurately, I might add, very scientifically. It was just right on the money. But then at the very end of the video, she is asked about uh, the afterlife. And she answers it this way. She says, basically what you need to do is just find a nice idea of the afterlife that's right for you. Now, many people don't even pause to question that in America anymore. And th this is why the vast majority of Americans still believe that they're going to heaven without having even looked into it. Because just like the woman in that video, as she recommended, we have chosen a view of the afterlife that we like. But I want you to hear me. This may be the most important thing that I say. This is just truth. Hear me on this. The afterlife is not going to be what you want it to be. It is going to be what it is. Just like I can't take a trip to Switzerland and Switzerland will be what I want it to be. Switzerland just is what it is. What I want it to be is almost completely irrelevant. The afterlife is not going to be what you want it to be. It's going to be what it is. And so the big question of your life is to the big task of your life, really, is to investigate, to study, to learn, what is it? If I possibly am going to exist there forever, what is it? And if there is heaven and if there is hell, how do I actually go to heaven? Those are super important questions of your life. And since you're here and you're in a church and we're talking about it, let's, let's investigate it. Let's, let's see what the Bible actually says on it. You know, one of the great things of the Bible is it tells us that Jesus Christ is the one person who can speak with real authority on the question of what happens when I die. Because not only did he come from heaven in the first place, but he actually died while he was on earth and then came back to talk about it. And he tells you how to defeat death and join him in heaven. And if you're going, well, how do we know he resurrected? There's plenty of evidence for the resurrection. One place I want to point you is, if you're interested in studying the resurrection, is there evidence for it? Is we did a message uh, at our church once called, Did Jesus Actually Resurrect? And we laid out all the evidence there is for the resurrection of Jesus. And that was in our Reason to Believe series. And if you want to look that up on our website, that might be a great resource for you. So what does Jesus actually teach then about heaven and hell and about how to go to heaven? Would you just do me a favor? Will everybody just grab a Bible, whether you brought your own or you can use the ones under the chair. If you grab it here, would you turn to page 725? Uh, this is one of the clearest explanations in the Bible about heaven and hell. 
and how to get to heaven. So we are in the book of John. Uh, we're going to be in chapter 3. We're actually going to start at a very famous verse and then read on from there. So we're going to be at John chapter 3, verse 16. So you want to find the big number 3 and then the little number 16. The first part might sound familiar to you. Here's what it says. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that's Jesus, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, so not go to hell, but have eternal life, that's heaven. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world. That just means Jesus didn't come to earth to say, all right, you're all going to hell. That's not, that's not what he, why he came, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they've not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Okay, now what I want you to do is just turn the page, one page, and then we're going to go to the last verse of this chapter. So verse 36. So it's right before that big number four. Because this is really important on the same train of thought. Verse 36 says this, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. It's heaven. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life. In other words, they're going to go to hell. Why? For God's wrath remains on them. Okay, let's make sense of this, because this is a really, really foundational teaching of Christianity. The Bible is saying that God sent his one and only son, Jesus, to earth, not just to love people and to teach, but ultimately to die on the cross. And you see in verse 36, where it says, those who do not believe that Jesus died for them, those who reject him, they don't say, I trust you with my life, they will not see life. Why? What's it say? Because God's wrath remains on them. That means his holy justice. And we believe in justice, right? We cry out for justice in this country. We think it is so important. Well, God thinks justice is important too, and that there ought to be justice, just punishment for sin, even our sin. But as we read in verse 16, remember God so loved you, the world, that he sent his only son, Jesus, to do what? To die on the cross. So what is he doing? He's actually taking the wrath of God that was meant for you upon himself. The wrath of God is coming upon Jesus on the cross. That should have been for me. That should have been for you. And therefore, justice will be satisfied. But the only way that it's satisfied, the only way we're told in these verses that it comes off of you is if you do not reject Jesus, but instead you believe that Jesus Christ died in your place and you make him your savior and the leader of your life. But this is the only way, believing in Jesus and becoming his follower. Uh, if you're unsure about this, I cannot encourage you enough to read the Bible. Investigate this on your own. One of the things you could do this week is read the book of John in the Bible. Read it this week, and you may say, that feels like a lot. It's not a lot if you really think that eternity is real, and it is coming. Investigate it. Now, let me tell you something. You know, we spent, as a church, actually much of the last four years studying the book of Luke, walking through every verse of the whole book. And as someone who has spent literally hundreds and hundreds of hours studying the life of Jesus in that particular book over the last four years. Uh, let me tell you what my number one takeaway from studying that book has been. 
I can tell you the number one thing that I've been struck by is just how many times in that book Jesus warned people about hell. Because in America, when we talk about Jesus, right, we just think, oh, he loves to run through the flowers and hug kids. Jesus, right? When you read his words, it's like he is warning people all of the time about eternity and that he came to save them. We, we really focus on the positive. Oh, he came to save us. Save you from what? From the consequence of the wrath of God still being on you, so much so that you would then spend eternity in hell apart from God. And what I beg of you is do not risk, and I just hope you hear the weight of my words, do not risk your eternity on a guess or on a hope. The afterlife is not going to be what you want it to be. It is what it is. Find out what it is. Jesus Christ says in John 14, verse 6, he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father. No one is coming to heaven except through me. And we enter into eternal life through Jesus Christ, through our faith in him. And so when you die, as a Christian, as someone who believes in him, then yes, your soul goes to heaven, and eventually you have a new resurrection body. And by the way, get to house groups this week, because we're going to dive into the nitty-gritty and the minute details of that theology, and what does all happen after we die. But the Bible says believers in heaven will get to spend eternity there, not because of what we did, but because of what Jesus did, and that we believed in that. The most important thing is that you're there. And if you're thinking about it, I want you to know, I want you to know that there are people all over this church who have made that decision, even very recently. And God has come into their life and is changing their life. And one of the ways that we celebrate that as a church is through baptism. In fact, I want to call our uh, baptismal team on stage right now. Uh, this is something that we do in our services about a once, a month or so, once a month or so. Because baptisms are visible reminders of what actually happens when a person believes in Jesus. So this doesn't save anyone, but it's a really powerful symbol for the person and for the rest of us that when I believe that Jesus took God's wrath upon himself, then God looks at my life and says, not guilty. And my sin essentially is washed off of me. But not only that, I, I was dead, but I arise a new person, forgiven and granted eternal life. And that's an amazing thing. Uh, every person that you see uh, baptized at our church has sponsors with them, people who have made an impact or are helping them in their faith. And so we first, we share a little bit of their story, and then you get to see a baptism. So uh, we're happy to do that. So at this point, I'm going to ask uh, Michael to come to the stage. Hello. Hi. I'm Michael. Uh, I'm being baptized today, and I want to give honor to uh, Michael and Rachel for baptizing me. Um, yeah, so let's get down to it. So... I'm kind of new to this church, but I want to give first things first, all glory to God. And uh, yeah, so as, as a child, I grew up as a, a Catholic, and I didn't really know what I was doing with my life. And down the road, I, I didn't really become like self-centered with God. So then middle school, high school hit, I didn't really uh, understand, like understood the uh, concept of God 
and like his character. So, when, so I was just doing my all my worldly things, and then uh, <laughs> sorry. Do I, can I get water? Can I get water? Or is that? <laughs> okay. okay, I'll just keep going. Uh, so where was I? So after high school, I I just continued with my worldly things, not really knowing what to do with my life. I just kind of just picked up deal, uh, a job at a car dealership, and then uh, after after like two years, I kind of was kind of done with the job. And but midway through uh, doing my worldly things, I didn't really it didn't really feel right. And then I've, I had an experience with God, and He kind of just like changed my heart for the better, and he kind of just uh, helped me with my life. And uh, when I read Proverbs 9-10, uh, uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the, whole, uh, of the Holy is understanding. So that's when I understood really, oh, sorry. <laughs> so that's when I really understood that I kind of needed to like, stop my sin and then stop going into sin and stop doing really things and just abide my life to God and give all glory to God because that's what really matters in life is not living my, for myself but living for God. Uh, so, and at the time I was alone and all my friends were only like worldly friends. None of them were Christians. None of them were born again. None of them were really just caring about, they only were caring for themselves. And uh, so I didn't really have anyone to talk to and, but only God. So that's the whole thing. Uh, I prayed every day. I asked for guidance and assurance, and he, he has answered for God is good. Um, but, uh, and I was praying, and like I said, uh, he, he answered. And in Luke 15, 4, what a man of you have a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, doth not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go out to which is uh, lost until he find it. And after reading this parable, I kind of really understood, like, in that whole transition, like, because at that time, I didn't have any, like, any kind of, uh, just, like, assurance by anyone that, like, who God was or who he was as a character. So he kind of just, like, left everything and kind of came to me as, like, a, as I was lost. And I didn't know who... I was at the time, and then it kind of was like, kind of put the fear of God in me because, like, I didn't know what was happening because I was doing all these worldly things, and then all of a sudden I just reclaimed, like, myself as a person, like, my soul and everything. And it was just like an amazing experience because, like, I was going down the wrong path and just everything, and it was just all glory to God. And then now every day I just, I, I read my Bible, I deny myself and pick up the cross, and I I give all glory to God for everything. I pray, and I just, I just want to give all glory to God. And yeah. Oh, thank you. That's why we built this building, by the way. Uh, because there are people hearing the gospel every single week, and it radically changes your life, the future of your life here on earth, and your eternal destiny. And that's why I'm sharing the gospel, the good news with you right now. So we hear it again, right? We, even if you're a Christian, you've been one for a long time, there's a reminder of like, that's me. Yeah, I didn't graduate to some place where now God loves me because I do good things. 
Like he just loves me. And that is what transforms my life. And so this is, this is the paramount question in front of every single human being. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God who came to die for your sins? And what I've tried to show you through this teaching series is that believing in that doesn't then result in a bunch of contradictory or illogical beliefs. No, it actually leads to a worldview with incredible answers to life's biggest questions. And the beautiful outworking of all of those answers is that, yes, there is a God who created me and loves me and has a plan for me. He gave me his word and his son, and yes, he wants to be with me forever. And he provided a way for that to happen, and it was through the death of his son. And it is my faith in that that will change my eternal destiny. And what we said, yeah, that takes faith, but it actually takes less faith to believe in that, that God created you, loves you, has a plan for you, and a place for you, than it does to have faith that this was all just an accident and that your life has no meaning. You can make a decision to follow Jesus Christ, to be forgiven. And in a room of this size, surely there are people who have not made that decision. Or you maybe even been coming to church for a year or two or three. And ultimately, truly, you have not made this decision to say, I want Jesus to be the Lord in my life. I believe that he died in my place. This is the biggest question of life. Did Jesus Christ die for your sins and have you trusted him for it so that you can know him now and have eternal life? And if you've never said yes to that and you've never made that decision, you can do so today. I want to give you the opportunity right now. In fact, let's just have everybody close their eyes just for a minute. Would you just bow your head even? Do you believe this? Do you need to believe it today even for the first time? That God loves you so much that even in all of your sin, all of your mistakes, that he said, I love them. I want my son to die in their place. Because if you believe that that is what gives you eternal life in heaven, not in hell, and that also allows God to come into your life so you can have a relationship with him, so you can, as you just heard and as we've been hearing all morning, so he can come in and turn your life around, it all stems from this key moment, this decision. Do you believe Jesus Christ died for you? And if you need to make that decision this morning, in just a second, I'm actually going to have you respond by standing up. And that may seem like a lot, but sometimes I think in life you just need that draw the line in the sand moment to say, yep, I do. I believe. I want to be forgiven. I want eternal life. I want to know you. And so if that's you and you need to make that decision, don't think about people looking at you. No one's even looking at you. They just close their eyes. If that's you and you need to make that decision to be forgiven and receive eternal life from him, what I want you to do right now, just real quietly, I want you to just boldly, in faith, stand up in your chair right now. Stand up and say, yes, God, that's me. I need it. I need eternal life. I need to be forgiven. If that's you, would you just stand up where you're at? Go ahead. All right, amen. Anyone else? If you know, you're just going to know it in your heart. Like, this is me. I, eternity rests on this. 
We don't know if we're living out the rest of the day, friends. If you need to make this decision, make this decision. Anyone else in here who says, yeah, I, I need this. If that's you, would you just stand? I'll give you about five more seconds. All right, amen. Anyone else? Okay, for those of you that are making this decision right now, the most important decision of your life, we want to pray with you. The Bible says when you make this decision, we believe in our heart, but we also confess with our mouth. So I'm just going to pray, and I want you to just repeat after me this prayer. It's not a magic prayer, but just a prayer to tell God what's going on in your life right now. And you can pray this whether you just made this decision or you've believed this your whole life. Would you repeat after me? Dear God, I confess to you that I have sinned against you. But God, I believe that you sent your son Jesus to take my place. And God, I thank you for forgiving my sins. And now I commit to following you with my life. Amen. As everyone still kind of has their eyes closed just for a second, for those of you that are standing up or stood up or made this decision, or even if you didn't stand, but you know, like, I made this decision today. I believe you just made, seriously, the most important decision of your life, and you don't want to make a decision of that magnitude and then just go on with your life. You need to know what to do next. And so, in just a second, I'm going to pray. And as I pray, what I want you to do, for those of you that are standing or stood, I want you to actually sneak out of your row while I prayed and go into the lobby. And I will meet you there in just a second. Our follow-up team will find you right as you walk out. And we just want to give you, just for a few minutes, some really important next steps so that you know what to do over this next week, over these next few days. You know what it means to actually start following Jesus in this way. So that is huge. So you can sneak out as I pray here, and then it'll only take you a few minutes. But it's so, 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 so key. All right, you can do that now as I pray. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for just what you've done in this series, the number of people that have come to Christ, just for building up our own minds in your truth. And Lord, we thank you that you love people like us. We are, we are just a mess, God. We sin, we screw up, we sin against you, and yet you love us and sent your son for us. We're so grateful for that and for what you're doing right here in this room. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, thanks, everybody. Have an amazing week.